welcome to the Lore Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season four, we focus on big ideas that will disrupt and involve the legal profession. On today's episode, we discuss innovation and impact with our guest, Aaron Gerstenzang. We're asking ourselves, how can we leverage new models to help others? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Darlene, we are in, again, a professional recording studio. I just feel so, this is just a, another level for us. And it's nice to be in the same room. It's a more... Yeah, uh, except it's almost useless because I have my sunglasses on and I've told you not to look at me in the eyes. <laughs> because we have made it big. <sighs> We've made it big. This is what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. Podcasting superstardom is very glamorous. I have a free coffee yeah. in front of me and an, also a glass of water in a beautiful glass. So, I have no glass of water. Things are pretty great over here. <laughs> things are but great. But don't look. How are things? Darlene, how's the fam? Everything's good. It wasn't the most peaceful morning trying to get downtown to the studio for a certain time. It just, when you need things to function, I know I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I just want to share that almost none of my calming strategies <laughs> or mm-hmm. any of that stuff worked today. Every system failed, and I really just had to arrive here at the studio, take a minute, mm-hmm. didn't do any tapping or anything, didn't do any of the of the recommended strategies, but had a tea, tried to breathe, yeah. listened to some music. Kids are like moved. sharks. I feel like they can smell the fear, you know, and the mornings where you're like, I got to get them out of here so I can get, they're like, oh yeah, you think oh, that's yeah. going to happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No chance of that. Yeah. I am a little bit similar. I yeah, had a bit of a go this morning and then on the train in did some, my new breathing thing that I, that is still a mystery to you, the listener, because I, for it some is. reason, clothing, this, keeping this close to myself. That helped, but we were okay. both, yeah, I, I would say t- this is a morning where we're both kind of getting, we're, we're doing our best. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's okay. And uh, it's, for me at least, interesting to note that the same type of mental performance stuff, I mean, you have to, we need to be relaxed. We need to be listening to our guests. We need to be in the moment. This is all the same stuff that we're used to having to prep for, for our law practice. So, and yes, and I did make it needlessly stressful on myself because I did a very fast client meeting before the podcast, which I can identify would be stress inducing. Right. Well, okay. Let's relax a little bit. We have a great guest today. We do. Um, You're excited specifically Mm -hmm, um, because this is a acquaintance, friend, yes, uh, business confidant. What other labels could we put on? Mentor, sponsor, sponsor. Um, Yeah, I think uh, Aaron is someone that I've been following for a while, and I just uh, I, I would love to do whatever we can, whatever small part the Lawyer Life Pod can play in getting the message out about what she's doing. I'm excited to do that. Erin Gerstenzang. Yeah, very impressive. And especially when you will we'll go through her bio, such definitely a, a lawyer that is focusing not strictly on her area of expertise and just running practice, but she is in many ways reaching out to people all over the country in the US and, and I guess beyond those borders to help them improve subject matter expertise, the way they practice, the way they think about how law can be delivered. She's out there. She's got, she's like an octopus with tentacles. (laughs) She's everywhere. Everywhere. Working on lots of important issues as well, like really key issues. So yeah, Mm -hmm. let's hear her her formal bio. All right. So Erin Gersten Zhang is a trial attorney with a law practice in Atlanta, Georgia. 
She runs her own boutique criminal defense law practice, and she's dedicated to helping other attorneys succeed. She is a regular speaker at CLE events across the country that helps lawyers understand legal ethics in a technology-enabled world. She also lectures on, on design thinking for law firms, automation, paperless systems, and using social media to help build a legal brand. She runs the EHG Law Firm Collective, and that's a collective of mentorship-focused criminal defense. That is a collaborative mentorship-focused criminal defense group that helps women develop legal technology and business skills that accelerate solo law firm growth and success. She was recognized by the ABA as a woman in tech honoree in 2019. She co-organizes the Atlanta Legal Tech Meetup Group in Atlanta and is on the board of directors for the Georgia Association for Women Lawyers and runs their Leadership Academy. She serves on the Women in Law Committee for Atlanta's Women's Foundation and was named on the Fast Case 50 list of honorees in 2018. I'm out of breath and endlessly impressed. Endlessly impressed. No <gasps> slouches on the Lawyer Life podcast guest list. Eh? I'm trying not to slouch by keeping my shoulders back. So without further ado, here is Aaron. <laughs> Hey, Erin. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. This is a long time coming, and we've basically been storing up our podcast questions for you for, I don't know, as long as I've been following what you're up to in the world of law. Also, so. this morning, we've been chatting about, as I look out at the snow falling here in Toronto, we've mm-hmm. been discussing what it might, what it must be like being down in hot Atlanta. Envying. It's not as cold as it sounds yeah. <laughs> up there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll tell you that. We still have, I still have arugula growing in our garden no. all year long. All so, year? I'm being, all year. I don't know if that's always supposed to be the case, but the last two years we've been pretty strong. Can you grow kale down there? Oh my gosh. Uh, yes, yeah? actually. Kale is growing. We also have kale in our garden. Yeah. It can be tough, you know, it can weather those like very, very gentle winters we have. Very cool. We have a minor kale obsession beginning on this podcast. There's a lot of talk beginning. of kale. Okay. It's a constant? A, I have heard it mentioned on prior podcasts. <laughs> Maybe it's more true. than one, which is a little me. weird. Mostly Mike. Well, anyway. <laughs> okay. With that. So thanks for coming on. Obviously, so you've had a relationship with Darlene for a long time. We're just commencing our relationship today, which is exciting. And I understand, you know, going back to your foundation, you, you come from a family of lawyers. Is that right? I do, actually. I'm the oldest of four children in my family, and all of us, except for the one youngest, has followed in our parents' footsteps and become criminal defense attorneys. So that's pretty fun. Um, It it was catching, apparently, in our family. So So Thanksgiving must be super fun. Is it? You would think. Um, you know, as it turns out, lawyers work is always boring to other people, even if you're doing the same work. So lawyers talking about the the actual cases that they're handling, it's hard to keep that interesting, even if we all share those comments. That's really good advice. That's true. And so both of your parents were criminal defense lawyers, you said. Yeah, they are actively actually still practicing. Wow. Yeah, they love it. Okay, I didn't realize that. I knew that it was uh, you came from a family of lawyers, but sometimes that's amazing. Really amazing. Yeah. Wow. What do you think that has done for you, seeing your parents practice as you grew up and and sharing that now with your siblings? Sure. I think it's funny. I think a lot of people are surprised when they hear that because so many lawyers don't necessarily end up staying in love with the profession that they've chosen. So the idea that they would encourage their children to do the same, you know, we always get funny pushback on that. But I think growing up in a family where we 
were raised by people who were running a successful law firm and really got so much joy out of their work. When you think about it from that perspective, it's not hard to understand why so many of my, why me and my siblings sort of followed in their footsteps and adopted that model. And really, um, I think in terms of what it's done for us is it's given us, all three of us, really incredible insights from a very early age about how to help, about how to talk to clients that I didn't really think, I wasn't thinking about when I was growing up. But now that it's in practice, there are a lot of things that feel like second nature to me that I know um, some other colleagues didn't have that benefit of having some of those lessons early on. Wow. Well, this gets to the, one of the main reasons that I felt it would be so important to talk to you is that one of the things I observe is that there are a number of people trying to move our profession forward from different angles. And this season, we're very much focusing on big ideas that can cause sort of quantum leaps in the profession. And what I see, and I would love your take on is, is it different to be actually practicing? Because you practice law. You are building many things, you are doing many things, but you're actively practicing law as well. And do you think there's something to that? Like you've got to be practicing to be moving it forward authentically? Ooh, I, well, I think anybody can move our industry forward. So I don't, I don't know. I love that question. I don't know that there's a requirement that you're practicing law, but I do think that when we think about the people who are practicing law, we are sort of, lawyers are closest to the problems that exist in society. They're, we're closest to our clients who are the most vulnerable and in some of the more problematic periods of their life. And so we see a lot about what's working in the system, but we also see a lot about what's not working in the system. And so I think that that, for me, I didn't always come with this perspective, but I think, you know, around you know, about uh, four years ago, I started realizing, hey, we see all these problems, but if we're not engaging in the community, if we're not sort of building our network, then we can see that these problems exist, but we have very little opportunity to move the needle and try to address them. So I think that there is value in sort of pulling practitioners out of, you know, it's so easy to put your head down and just focus on what's in front of you, but we have very little influence when we just sort of try to help from that one client at a time perspective. What are some of the problems that you've observed that you're now trying to fix? Sure. So I have a really uh, fun one to talk, well, good one to talk about. That's a great question. So in Georgia recently, we have our legislative session is in progress and we only have a few months where there's anything that can be done when it comes to lawmaking. And right now there is a proposed budget cut to public defenders in our state to the tune of $3 million. And that is sort of devastating for anybody in the criminal justice system because we know how valuable and underfunded they currently are. So the idea that you would be taking money away from them is sort of heartbreaking. And so being in a position where, you know, I'm involved on a lot of levels in the criminal uh, defense community in Georgia, that really helps us have a platform and sort of group together and have a much louder voice and sort of be participating in these ways. So one of the ways that that will pan out is um, we've all volunteered to spend a week at the Capitol this uh, during this this session, a bunch of us through this organization and be there to sort of explain some of the problems with proposed legislation and be the voice that isn't always present when they're making decisions that affect you know the people that we represent. Wow. Okay. So access to justice. So the issues that you're tackling, as I see them, you're working on access to justice. You're working on some interesting stuff with law firm models as well. Do you want to talk about that or? speak to some of the business issues. 
Um, well, you put your finger on it. It's always so hard. Once you once you start engaging with these communities, there's so many good places to put your efforts. That That's probably one of the biggest challenges is narrowing the scope. But I do think, I think that there's, that those things also go hand in hand. I think that, you know, there's a lot, as I know you guys talk about a lot, there's a lot of crisis in the legal profession of people not, you know, choosing careers that they invest a lot of time and money in building and then not necessarily extracting joy or value that they had hoped they would get out of it. So I do think that when we think about the business models, that's another place where we can be bringing that joy in and rethinking the traditional ways that people have practiced law. So I do love thinking about that, especially I have a bunch of women in particular that I mentor, and we start thinking about ways to make this practice viable and a, a thing that people enjoy and love to do on a long-term basis while still fulfilling all these other things that come with life, which is raising a family or having relationships or finding joy in other places. That's interesting that you mentioned that so you're, you're working with a, a group of women and that innovation can help solve problems for them. And I think that you know, maintaining the status quo benefits the people who have built it and who want to perpetuate it. And it feels like there's a great opportunity with innovation to also solve the problem for folks that are marginalized or aren't treated fairly within the profession. So do you find, do you find that? Yeah, I do. I think that one of the cool things about legal tech, generally speaking, and um, I think the community that we have is that it's not necessarily working. And that's sort of where I found myself after, you know, 10 years of just focusing on my practice and just focusing on being the best attorney that I could be and the best trial attorney that I could be. I realized, you know, when I looked up and had accomplished, felt like I had, you know, reached a sort of milestone in that journey, I realized that there weren't many people, although I had had great mentors along the way, I've always been um, so grateful for the people who have taught me how to do what I do. When I got to that point 10 years in, I looked up and realized there was nobody whose career I was actually chasing. There was nobody who I looked around and said, wow, that's where I want to be in 20 years. That's the model I will follow. And so I think what we're finding is, um, at least with a lot of the women that I get to work with, is we sort of share this idea that the law could be something else and something different. And so it's pretty exciting space to be all of a sudden find this freedom that we didn't think we had to design the practice that we would like to have as opposed to continuing to follow along who, you know, our mentors and many of the women who I work with, we all sort of shared a lot of the same male mentors who were great, but they were forging a path that really, it doesn't seem that that's the path that we all want to continue down. I guess what I have observed about you, and you can confirm if, if you share this observation about yourself, because sometimes people see things about you that you may not be aware of. But to me, when I see what you're doing, what I think is so really important is that you very quickly, like you step into it, you go and get these skills and you very quickly start expanding your tent and bringing everyone else into it. I am a, but to sponsor and support other people in your ecosystem, even women who are actually practicing criminal law in your state. I mean, it's very direct what you're doing. And I, from my perspective, that's the type of thing that takes real courage and, and people can be very nervous about doing. And I, I think here, my thought on it, and the reason why is that people sometimes feel like there's only one spot. And if I advocate for somebody else, what if I lose my spot? And you don't seem to have that. And I would love if you could share why and how this has evolved, the confidence. Yeah. 
I would love to talk about that. Um, I also would like to say, I think the world would be a better place if we could all wake up and think of ourselves in the way that our friends think of us. Because if we we sort of adopted that, I think the world would be a happier place for everyone. (laughs) I love that idea. And I think that when you start really experiencing the benefits of it, it it gets contagious. So being part of that community, I couldn't help but turn around and be like, hey, (laughs) to all my criminal defense women who I knew had sort of, I don't want to say missed the boat, but didn't have, this had been absent in their their mentorship, Mm. you know, to sort of pull them in and go along the way. I also think, you know, so I think, I think some, some of it just comes naturally, but I also think it's for me um, becoming more and more of a pressing moral imperative. 2016 was eye-opening on a number of different levels, but you know, we're all on our path and we all have to be where we are, but all of us on some level have privilege. And the best thing you can do with that privilege is to try to use it and amplify the voices of people who maybe haven't had that privilege. And so a little bit for me, this is about making sure if there's a way to be helpful, and I know that I've benefited from opportunities that I didn't earn, you know, that it was it was nepotism because I knew these lawyers around the country, they were willing to help me because other people other than me or something I hadn't necessarily earned or getting speaking opportunities that people were taking a gamble on me and put me in positions that I probably wasn't even qualified to do. But I know how much that's pushed my career along by giving the, by being given the opportunity and um, being able to sort of meet those expectations. So it's sort of, I, I find it to be really fun and rewarding to help people and engage. And it just builds my community and network, which I continue to now see the value in growing that. On that note, so you've had the benefit, I suppose, of being the privileged person and also in some situations not being. And with that, focusing on how to be a good ally and so on, especially from the perspective of being a male in the profession, what would your advice be about how men can be good mentors in general and and specifically, I would say, to women? I think that there's, I think there's a lot of men who are already being great mentors to women. And so I, I think that continuing to notice and look for opportunities, you know, one of the best ways to change any behavior is to start noticing it. And I see a lot of our male allies doing that. And whether that's on social or that's more in private settings, you know, some examples, which I really applaud is like, Hey, if somebody invites you to speak on stage and it's a bunch of white guys, and you happen to be a white guy, well, then that's a great opportunity to use your privilege and not only notice that that panel lacks diversity, but also encourage change from the top down by telling them, you know, hey, no thanks, but here's a bunch of women who, in case you didn't know who to put on the panel. Um, so I see my husband does a lot in that space and trying to, he's not a lawyer, but trying to help promote women and women of color where you know, it'd be so easy to, in the old world, say, oh, sure, I'm going to take this speaking opportunity or not even notice or think critically about who else is speaking at that conference. So I love those are sort of the big examples. But I think that there are even little examples where I had a friend on Twitter who posted something about a coaching program for women. And there was somebody who like gave her pushback, you know, and wanted to challenge this notion that it would be valuable to exclude men. And actually, Joshua Lennon from Clio (laughs) popped up on Twitter and he was like, I can't even remember what he said, but he was clearly supporting my friend and supporting, you know, what she was doing and sort of in a very nice and only, you know, Josh, he's, he's always very nice um, and friendly, but 
clearly saying, hey, look, this isn't appropriate. Um, and I thought that that was also a really good example of being an ally. It wasn't, you know, nobody was being hateful. It was just a casual conversation. And he did it in a really, I thought, thoughtful way to show his support without, you know, turning it into a meme where all of a sudden everybody was piling on and, you know, somebody was getting called out for being hateful, which really wasn't happening. But I think that it's powerful to be an ally in those small ways as well. Totally. And one thing I think a lot about is that there's a system and it's a bit of a a precursor to what I am going to be talking about in the near future. But, you know, there's a system that we're all part of and there are some big problems with the system. Right. But sometimes the system's not good for men or women. Like there are some of the things like work-life balance. I believe that work-life balance is good for everybody. You know, the more that we can get amplify voices that are talking about work-life balance and the benefits, the more we can make it a broader social issue. You know, it's not just a women's issue. Nobody wants to work like this. <laughs> like, nobody right. wants to have the, you know, work to the exclusion of their family and their children. And we women are carrying the banner for that argument, I feel like, because it's, well, for a couple of reasons. But I think one of the jobs that we do and something like what you're describing on Twitter is that you to get allies, like Mike's an ally, obviously, a lot of the discussions we have on this podcast are about trying to find this place where men and women collaborate to make a better way. I love that stuff. And I think part of it is just, we just need the voices that are trusted to have open conversations like that. So you're very much facilitating that. You're part of these conversations. And to share intel is part of what we're doing here, right? If everyone's just trying to get into the old system, I don't know that we are going to... And when I say the old system, I should probably give some context. I mean, you know, billable hours, work, 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 churn, 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 churn. (laughs) As you said earlier, keep your head down, do your 10% pro bono, but that's that's it. Don't get engaged. It's hard to lift your head up and, and try to focus on the bigger picture issues, but the more authentic people you've got in your mix that are interested, I, I think that's sort of, for me, what I find inspiring. And I think watching you and others like you that are out there doing it has been very interesting for us. I think just judging from the way that your, your firm provides advice, maybe not, we shouldn't call it advice, provides legal information <laughs> online, you give really accessible, clear detailed information to folks looking for questions or looking for answers to their questions. And, and as well, you're giving very, or you seem to be ge- very generous with your time with mentorship and with others, which is a bit of a, I don't want to say exception to the rule or paradigm shift, but our profession is based on getting paid to give information and advice. And so can you speak a little bit about how opening up can actually lead to good instead of just, it's not as though you're giving away everything at, for nothing? Well, I, I let me let me push back on that and like let me twist on that. I will say that the more I've become involved in these sort of volunteer organizations, the more I continue to see that many times the first people to raise their hands are women and and then they pour a lot of time in especially in these not-for-profit organizations that really are fueled on free labor. They pour so much time and effort and are often those like unsung heroes. Mm -hmm. So while I do think we want to get away from this framework of the billable hour, when it comes to women in particular, and this is something that I've seen start to take over, it's like, okay, well, once you're giving it, everybody wants a piece. Um, And so I would love to help think about strategically, how can we make sure that 
A, we're giving the most value to the most number of people, but also doing it in a sustainable way because doing it, it's like, you know, solving, um, we love to talk about the access to justice problem and be like, well, pro bono should just solve this. <laughs> it's like, hey, that's not, you know, that's that's also not the solution here. So I do think we should rethink the way that we're giving away our time. But I also think that we should, as a community, rethink the way that we're providing value to the people who do at that time. So like one place I see a lot of this come up is like in the CLE, the continuing legal education market, where that's often fueled on like free speakers who are coming in to do a lot of the stuff that that we're talking about, which is mentor, showing people the new path forward. So I think that we do need to rethink these models because I think that what ends up happening is everybody is wed to the billable hour, then they're doing really well financially, but maybe aren't getting this job satisfaction. And then on the flip side, we have all these women who are giving their heart and soul and weekends and evenings to, and men too, I shouldn't say that men aren't doing this, but like maybe it's just self-selecting the organizations that I've been a part of. You know, I think that there are ways that we can rethink the system. So we're making sure we're extracting as much value as a society from all of this free labor that is getting poured in at different places. Well, one of the things that we can, I think I can help with that a little bit with this podcast. What's been interesting is I get a lot of people reaching out to me saying, you know, how do I get into entertainment law? You have a really interesting career path. Can we talk about it? And I, we now have recordings where I can say, listen, take a listen. You'll hear my story. I don't need to say it for the 50th time. It's part of my interest in automating, and yes. <laughs> amplifying <laughs> the efforts, do it once and, and reap value from it or help spread the value around I think we have that ability with technology. It doesn't remove the need for human connection, but I think it gets rid of, they can, there are ways to find out if you would like to hear more from, from Darlene Tonelli and there are sort of efficient ways. And then there are ways to say, listen, I listened to all your podcasts and now I'd like, I'm looking for a job. So I'm all over finding a way to harness the interest. And this is one thing, another transition point we should talk about with you, but saying you're helping, but maybe you're moving it from one to one to one to many. So on that note, I mean, you've just launched a program where you're doing an online webinar. I'll let you describe it, but you're effectively taking a skill that you have and you're empowering other people to learn from you in a really broad way that's much bigger than like one panel at a conference. Can you talk about what you're doing and just share that? Because to me, it is completely in line with, with the rest of your your bio and your efforts? Sure. So I I did. I created an online course for DUI attorneys in the United States and actually probably Canada as well, but because you guys use the same enforcement on investigation techniques, but it's a way for these attorneys to really level up their in-court performance and sort of show them how to prepare for a trial or hearing. And I've developed a tool and a system because I've had 15 years of incredible mentorship from the best attorneys around the country pouring all their energy into helping me succeed. So what's been fun about this project is it's a lecture that I've been giving for, it's based on a series of lectures I've been giving for more than a decade, but you know, you can only, that's, that relies on my volunteer time to fly out to a particular conference and give that. And then you only have that value of me in the room and anything that you're able to retain. So what's been fun about this online course is playing around in this medium. And I think it's so important to think about that when you think about 
from a business perspective, developing new, new places to new revenue streams to think about what you're already doing for free that's providing value and think about how you can gently monetize it so that you also extract the financial value that you put into it, um, but also can reach as broad of an audience as possible. So that's been really fun to do because it's also in the legal education space, although there's plenty of stuff that's online. I think we don't see a lot of this in the competitive market outside of getting the CLE credits. There's only a few examples that I've come across where you're really empowering people to get better at their craft or to create a new, a new practice area. And that's just something that's really lacking in the education, legal education space where we've sort of filled that role in other places. So um, I would say like general assembly in the sort of tech and design world is a place where, you know, you can really go and learn your skills mid-career or starting your second career or your third career and develop your skill set in a way that doesn't require going back to formal education. And I think don't think we have that for lawyers. And so this was sort of an experiment that worked out really well for, hey, do, do lawyers want to be able to learn in this way from the comfort of their own home? And are they willing to exchange value for it? And so I think that that's been really exciting and really fun to do because I think there, there's a lot of new opportunities out there for people. And you may have seen it go by. There's another course who was really inspired me was Sonia, who's a, who ran the uh, two weeks to trademark course. And she has built like an army of people around the country who have developed a new trademark practice because of her course. And I think she's really turning that legal education model on its head. So it's the big idea season. We've talked about with you, mentorship, leveraging technology, education. If you had to put your big idea into a few sentences of how you would like the legal profession to evolve and change, how would you put it? Oh my God, tough one, Mike. Mike's coming Ooh, up with a heavy hitter. I'll just, I'll just do um, this Like time. blank slate. You get yeah. to just, you snap your fingers and tomorrow this thing occurs. Yeah, okay, I have a good, I, all right. I have to take a minute. I have an answer. I don't know if it's good. You'll tell me. I would like to go back to challenging a lot of the assumptions we make in our industry and look at data and start collecting and get better and smarter about collecting data and measuring outcomes. I think in the criminal justice space, as you've heard, I'm obsessed with, I would love some data around the, our use of prison and incarceration and relate that to, hey, how is that translating in society? Because for the U.S., like we have the largest prison population. I mean, it's just ballooned in the last 30 years as well. So I, I see that law, lawyers love to make decisions based upon precedent, looking backwards. But I really, really would love to see a sea change where we start looking at data and start using all the smart things that all these other industries are using to forecast the future and bring some of that knowledge and thinking to the legal industry. Yes, that well, is a big idea. And, love that. And Dar Boom. Darlene, let's, let's take that as a task. Upcoming episode. Okay. All right. Ooh. Done. Erin, this has been awesome. Yeah, really good. Thank you so much. So nice to talk to you about these things. Well, um, it's been great to chat, Erin. Enjoy the beautiful arugula growing weather down at Atlanta while I am responsible for shoveling my sidewalk every three hours here. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. I'm from upstate New York, though, so I feel your pain. Okay, so you're familiar with what we're dealing with here. Okay. Yeah. That's right. My mom still snow blows her driveway, and she's in her 70s. So Okay. Snow blowing is a good idea. <laughs> I don't, I've never owned a snowblower, which seems really... My dad gave really me something should. called a snow thrower, which I haven't used yet. 
I'll report back. I don't know what the difference is. And but you guys don't have snowblowers. No, we have shovel. Well, we just shovel. If my husband is listening right now, he would take issue with my. We have a yeah. shovel. We have a. That is his <laughs> his uh, gift to our family is mm-hmm. the shoveling of snow. I would say that's not something that I'm particularly skilled at. But if I could give him a snowblower, maybe though that might be a good. Well, gift. maybe what we could do is talk about our favorite snow removal techniques after this break when oh we come back gosh. with our goods and our gripes. <laughs> The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Okay, we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and gripes are things that annoy us. Uh, I think guest first is our yes. normal method. So, Erin, do you have a good or gripe to share? I do. I have a good thing to share that I'm very excited okay. about. And I don't if this qualifies next month, well, this month actually, uh, at the end of February, we are doing Women of Legal Tech in Chicago. And it is a sort of mini conference right before ABA Tech Show, which I know Darlene is coming to speak at. But I, so it's a mini conference and it's sort of really grown basically all because of the efforts of Janine Lambert, who's amazing. But now there's going to be like 100 people there to talk about, celebrate, and innovate around what's important to women in the legal space. So cool. Thank you for mentioning that. That is a good, that's an extreme good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm very excited about it. So I wish, yeah. Anyway, Chicago weather, I think much like Toronto weather at that time of year, I'm guessing. So ready for that. It's not warm. We're not there for the weather. (laughs) It's not warm. That's a good way to put it. Mike, do you have a good? Well, in the face of that legitimate, very good substantive good, mine seems embarrassing, but (laughs) I have... This week, we got a new type of coffee at home. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it's great. And okay. you have to appreciate the little things in life. Yes, you do. Coffee is my good right now. For those of you who can access it, there's a great roastery. Roastery? Is that the word? I think so. Crap. It's in my, in my hometown of Dundas, Ontario. It's called Detour. Detour yes. Dark. This is an unsolicited recommendation. The best coffee. I love it. It's great. Delicious. Okay. okay. Darlene, good Sounds or great? I, I'm, I'm okay to leave it with Aaron's good and grape for, for this episode. Do you have a, I don't really have anything super pressing. So Aaron, do you have a grape? No, I'm very, I'm focusing on the positive as well. Yeah. We are focusing on the positive yeah. right now. There's a lot to gripe about. And sometimes the best service that we can do for our listeners is to just leave it on a nice positive note. Yeah. Right? So let's do it. Let's do that. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Aaron. Uh, Have a great rest of your day. And uh, Darlene, we will talk soon. Talk soon. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Interalia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.